Read from Philippians chapter 4. Oops, forgot to take my hearing aids out. Philippians 4 and verse 19. Philippians 4 and verse 19. Again, we're talking about the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is enough for whatever. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm going to say at the outset that I don't think I'm going to get through my notes this morning. I have at least a full page, too many notes this morning, according to time. And something I do, uh, I've always done, and, and especially if it looks like the sermon may run long or the lesson may run long, is I go back through and say, what can I, what can I cut out? What is interesting to me, but, you know, it's not really necessary to the lesson. And... and uh, you know, what really doesn't carry things forward, and I just whack and whack and trim and trim. Couldn't get it down this morning, so I don't know if I'll wind up stopping in the middle of a particular point or just what, but you can just pray that Brother David doesn't run right on into uh, service time. <clears throat> anyway... We talked last week, I believe, about accepting Christ and letting him be the foundation for our lives and recognizing that he is the chief cornerstone for the church's foundation. And once we have done that, once we have allowed him to supply himself as the foundation on which we can build our lives, other issues arise. You know, it'd be a great selling point if I were selling the gospel. It'd be a great selling point to be able to tell people, you know, once you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, it's just going to smooth things out. You're not going to have the problems that you once had. Life is just going to be simple for you and uh, easy to live. But realistically, that's not the way it is, is it? Is it that way with your life? as you trust in Christ, that everything just is smooth and comfortable. Real difficulties, serious difficulties, are going to arise in life. And that's why as we walk through this life, it is so important to anchor our decisions, our choices, our faith, um, our, our purpose, our course in life on the very real fact that Jesus Christ is sufficient, whatever it is. Whatever may arise, he's sufficient. We read in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 that Paul revisited some of the churches that he had uh, planted, churches that were filled with new believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there may have been some in them who were Jewish and had a good foundation in the Word of God, but uh, new believers. And so he went and talked to these new believers, and it says that he went there strengthening the souls of the disciples, important thing to do, exhorting them to continue in the faith, good thing to tell people, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You know, I remember years ago, I was in a little Assembly of God church down in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, they had some kind of a singing group, and the bass singer, you know, tall glass of water. He, uh, deep voice. 
And he got up and he began talking about how hard life is. And I've been through so many troubles. And, you know, I didn't feel encouraged. I don't believe that Paul took that kind of an approach. It's just this is the reality, folks. We are engaged in something worthwhile. We have come to know someone who is sufficient for it all. But we have to face the facts. If we're going to enter into the fullness of what God has for us, we're going to go through many tribulations. Now here's a reality. If you don't yield to the Lord, you're going to go through many tribulations. In fact, if you don't yield to the Lord, well, it, there in Revelation it talks about those who came out of great tribulation. And some think that the great tribulation, which would mean that after Christ comes, there's going to be the greatest revival the world has ever seen. That's not going to happen. It's talking about carnal believers, the, the mass of believers who don't really give to themselves to the Lord. And they go through terrible trials. And what makes them so terrible? Maybe more of them because of bad decisions, but also terrible because they don't look to Christ and let him strengthen them and guide them and carry them through those trials. Give purpose to those trials. So some people would say that those words, you know, we're going to go through a lot of trials, that would be disheartening instead of strengthening. I don't agree with that idea. Hard things arise. They're going to arise. <clears throat> and something that we need, first of all, we recognize that those trials are going to come, but then once trials come... Sometimes we really need answers regarding those trials. I thought of Rebecca. Uh, she and Isaac were married, and it became apparent that there were no children on the way. And finally, Isaac, he knew what to do. He knew who was sufficient. He went to the Lord, and he prayed for Rebecca. And sure enough, along came some children. Now, when she was pregnant with uh, those two children, Jacob and Esau, it was a rough pregnancy. There were problems. And she didn't understand why, and there were unusual problems, and she didn't quite understand why she was having such severe difficulties in carrying these children. Didn't know it was two yet, but the Lord spoke to her. She finally asked the Lord about it, and the Lord spoke to her, and said, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, I'm not going to tell you what the Lord said to her. This is what she said to the Lord. If all is well, if, if everything is really the way it's supposed to be, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into the answer. She needed an answer. God gave her an answer. And if you want to read about that answer, again, it's in Genesis chapter 25. But she knew that the same Lord who was sufficient to allow her to bear children when pre previously she apparently had not been able to do was also sufficient for everything else. Sometimes the Lord gives us what we ask for, and when what we ask for, even if it's in his will, perfect will, itself becomes the source of problems. You know, I felt like the Lord called me to be a pastor, and I was a pastor. You think that didn't bring problems into my life? It did. So we can be right in the middle of the will of the Lord. He answers our prayer. He's sufficient for that. He gives us what he wants us to have, and then problems arise. She knew, Rebecca knew, where to go for the answers. 
or the comfort or whatever the Lord saw necessary to provide. Uh, one of the things that we deal with, one of the problems that we have to face as God's children is the fact that there are two natures in this life that we live here on earth. The uh, flesh and the spirit, the old creation, the new creation, the old man, the new man, the life of old Adam, the life of Christ within us. And this can be a real struggle at times. I'm grateful that it's not a struggle all the time. I'm, I'm grateful that we're not in the midst of an uh, uninterrupted battle, but there's a battle there. And the Apostle Paul, in the early days of his time as a believer, he himself faced some struggles along this line. And at first he didn't know what the answer to this struggle between the two natures might be. We read in Romans chapter 7 verses 21 through well, the beginning of verse 25. I find then a law. Now, you know, we speak, we see the, the, the law of, of the spirit of life, of Christ in us, the, the, the new life. We see, we see the law of, of Moses, but here's another law, something that is there. God recognizes, he says, this is the way it is. A law that evil is present with me. I'm a child of God. Maybe he thought, well, now things are going to be, boy, there's a struggle under that old law of Moses, but I'm glad that's over. Then he discovered another law. Sin is present with me. The one who wills to do good, that I want to do what's right, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. And this new life in us does delight in doing the will of God in that which is righteous. But he found there was a struggle. I see another law in my members. I delight in the law of God, the righteousness. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'll stop there. So to give away the point, which I'm not giving away because already you know what the point is of this whole lesson. If you didn't know it already, Paul had arrived at a conviction that the Lord Jesus Christ was sufficient to supply the deliverance that he needed. Where will this delivery, deliverance come from? Who can deliver me? I thank my God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, today we're going to consider a difficult issue then, a major issue then, that we have to face as Christians. And that difficulty is sin. And with that, the temptation to sin, because there is that in us, because of our fallen nature, that is attracted to sin. It's a part of our nature. You may think you shouldn't be attracted to sin. Uh, you, and there are limits to, you know, I'm not excusing anything, but there is a pull from the world and from unrighteousness. Different people will struggle with different issues. 
but there is a pull that's going to be there. Sin and a temptation to sin. It's a part of our walk as believers. Back in around 1958, my mother took a job with, uh, she was a, an old-time switchboard operator. You young people won't get this, but she had the headset, and, the, and, and then she had all these plugs, and uh, she, she was at Children's Medical, Children's Medical Center. Who would you like to speak to? And she would take that plug and plug it in someplace else. Well, their primary focus in that place was on kids with emotional problems or psychological problems or developmental problems. In other words, children who were very fragile and vulnerable on a lot of levels. And you know, some Christians don't have good sense and can create problems. Tulsa is a very religious town. Brother Tom Weaver told me years ago, he said, I have friends who go to the newspaper and read through the, the advertisements from the churches and see what famous preacher is going to be where, and that's how they decide where to go to church on Sunday morning. A very religious town, so they told my mom very specifically, you are never to raise the sin question if you have any interaction with these children. Now what you and I know is that there is no sin question. What there is is just a glaringly obvious, humanly insurmountable sin problem. There's no question. It's there. There's no question we're guilty. There's no question we're prone to sin. There's no question we can be tempted and drawn to sin. That's a problem. We as Christians have no alternative but to face the issue of sin head on if we're going to go forward spiritually, if we're going to let the Lord Jesus Christ do what needs to be done, we have no choice but to face it head on and to find God's answers. We know that he's sufficient. We know the supply is there. How do I access it? What decisions do I make? What direction do I take? Now let's start off just by sort of talking about what is sin. And I'm not going to, I could go to some scriptures and what have you, but I'm just going to say sin is simply a matter of disobeying God. Adam and Eve received one, you had, you know, you've seen these things, you had one job. Had one job. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree. They disobeyed God. A matter of disobeying him, of choosing things of which he doesn't approve. Um, of choosing to dwell on things, whether you act or not of which he doesn't approve. Now, what happens though it, with us human beings, we're very good at making excuses. And uh, I will tell you that Franklins are especially good after the fact of explaining why they did a thing, even if the why never entered their mind. You know, so we can, we can excuse our sin. It's something that the human race does. Um, but sin is sin. And you can't pre you, oh you can pretend that sins aren't sins. You can pretend that sins oh, that's such a small thing. Why are you so worked up about it? It's no big deal. I didn't hurt anybody. So let's be sure we're on the same page. Let's talk about the excuses people give. Uh, first one again, my sin is small. It's insignificant. I I I haven't committed a horrible crime. Didn't hurt anybody. It's not a big deal. Again, Adam and Eve didn't murder anybody. They didn't rob a bank for various reasons. You know, there were no banks. 
they they didn't do some of the things that people think, well, no, those are the bad sins. They didn't spread slander. They didn't... What they did was disobey God. And their one sin, he told us not to eat the, All we did, I don't, I'm not going to go into what the fruit was. I doubt if it was an apple. If it, if it was, it was probably a gala. <laughs> but, or maybe, anyway, I, I, I know it wasn't one of those sour pie apples, that's for sure. But their one little insignificant sin brought death and corruption and sin. To the entire human race. So how do we excuse that? Well, if we're wise, we don't. You may also remember the story of the man whose case is recorded in Numbers chapter 15. He needed some firewood. And so the Bible says that, and I'm, I'm not turning to that passage, but he went out and he gathered sticks on the Sabbath day. Now the Lord had been really clear about it. You know, you don't do any work on the Sabbath day. We're, we're setting that apart. That was a part of the law that was given. And uh, yet he just went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. Now somebody saw him. They brought the case to Moses. Moses didn't know what to do about it. I mean, there wasn't any, if they do this, do that. So he went to the Lord. And the Lord pronounced a death sentence on that man for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Now, one of the, the law is an instrument of condemnation. It can't deal with sin. It can only condemn sin. And since sin is in my members, if it's going to condemn sin, it's condemning me. This man disobeyed God. One of the things the law does is let people know with great plainness how God feels about sin. He doesn't love it. He doesn't overlook it. He doesn't bypass it. He deals with it in absolute righteousness. I'm glad that Christ bore my sins. (laughs) But that was the lesson. You're going to kill me because I picked up sticks? No. You chose willfully to disobey God. You decided that this little need of yours was more important than your fellowship with God. And I'm sending a message. I don't believe God was unrighteous. I don't believe that it was unfair. You can believe what you want to. But sin is serious. And there's not, it, it doesn't work to say that, it, uh, that it's too small to, to worry about. Um, then I'm, I'm going to tell you about something that that I became aware of. Some folks began to talk about and agree that it's uh, that it was the, their truth. You know, we talk about I want to hear your truth. You know, it's either the truth or it's not, right? Uh, so this excuse is you're wrong. What I did is not sin. Um, and they came up with a horrible lie that they called supreme grace. Whoa, we've used the word grace, so it must be okay, right? Um, Now, I have opinions about what scriptures they may have used to support that twisted doctrine, but I don't really know what scriptures they chose to use, and so I'm not going to offer my opinions and set out scriptures that might have been twisted for that purpose. But the doctrine was basically we're under grace, And if you understand grace, they say, if you 
don't believe a thing is sin. If you believe that it's okay with God, then it's okay. Right. I think the man who picked up sticks thought, this is fine. It's a little thing. It doesn't matter. And so, unless you think something is sin, it's not sin. How do you like them apples? That's terrible. That's a lie. That encourages people to go down a path that God doesn't believe. And it was used in that group of people to cover moral corruption within the leadership that had spread into the congregation and was just rife. Well, sin still exists. Uh, here's what grace really teaches. Well, I'm not going to use that verse. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, denying it, refusing it, rejecting it, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, the desires that are just engendered by the world and not by the new creation, not by the Lord's will for us. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Then is everything okay? Can I just say this is what I want to do and this is, it's offered to me by the world. And so you can, you can do that, you can say that, but that doesn't make sin not sin. Here's the truth about sin. It exists. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 18, for flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Guess what? That was the sin they were covering up and saying wasn't sin. I'm going to go with the Bible on this. Matter of fact, I think I'd better go with the Bible on pretty much every spiritual issue. No, I'll leave the pretty much out. Let's go with what God says. Or 1 Corinthians 8.12, some that were encouraging people to go in directions that well, it just didn't work for them. When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Here were people, and I'm not, I don't want to go into the context. You can read that passage for yourself. But they knew that certain things were okay. Others weren't sure of that. They pushed these people into it. And now he says, you know, you're not just sinning against yourself here. You're sinning against me. Well, we're right in what we're teaching. Okay. But you sinned against the Lord. So sin does exist. Uh, 1 John 5, 17 begins by saying, all unrighteousness is sin. Now I'll tell you about grace. We've talked, we saw that grace teaches certain things. Grace forgives sin. Grace cleanses from sin. But grace doesn't excuse sin. Grace doesn't redefine sin. Grace doesn't dilute the idea of sin. Grace doesn't pretend that sin is somehow no longer sin. There's a verse in Isaiah 5.20 that, that I think of often as I look at the condition of the church at large and at the world around us. Woe to those who call evil good. And good evil. Who put darkness for light. And light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet. And sweet for bitter. It doesn't work. 
to try to cover up sin with just human words and ideas. Sin is sin. God tells us what sin is. He says, don't do it. I am grateful to know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who dealt with my sin at the cross, is sufficient to deal with the problem of sin in my life and your 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 life, and your life now. That's important. I could go on, but I think we're pretty much in agreement on those things. So, well, one more thing, just to be clear. We really need to remember that sin is not only a matter of our deeds, but also of our hearts. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now we need we need to learn to deal with strong feelings against people because you can push that too far and you can harbor those feelings and you can nurture those feelings and let that resentment go deep until you just despise that person. You hate the ground they walk on. God says you're guilty. Oh, I've never killed anybody. God looks at the heart. And sin is really a matter of the heart. People want to focus always on the actions. It starts in the heart when the heart makes a decision, I'm not going to yield to God in that matter. I'm not going to agree with God in that matter. I'm going to choose something that God doesn't like. That happens before anything occurs out here. God looks on the heart. You hate your brother, you're a murderer. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 27 and 28, you have heard that it was said to those of old, the law of Moses, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus went on, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her, that is with the purpose of wrong desires, whoever looks at a person, a woman intentionally to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now in those verses we're not seeing we're not just seeing random thoughts talked about. Um, somebody told my dad years ago that, Brother Franklin, I've been dealing with thoughts all day long. <laughs> Maybe you've heard, you've heard the saying, uh, you, you can't help it if birds fly over your head, but you don't have, have to let them nest in your hair. Thoughts are going to come, and, and we can't, you know, again, us Franklins, and that's right, Joel, us Franklin, our heads are spinning all the time, and, and you know, you just have to, you've, you've seen these sorting machines where they're dealing with produce or something, and whoop, 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 you know, just get rid of what, the, you just have to do that. Realize that's not a thought I ever intend to pursue. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle John were talking about accepting those wrong ideas and desires, pondering on them. As if we, even if we never intend to commit the deed, just been recognized the deed, but it's okay for me to think about it. What the Lord told Samuel, I believe, applies here. And uh, we'll see what the Lord told Samuel next week. It's time to stop. May the Lord bless you.